0: Hello and welcome to the Pink Bike Podcast. This week, it's me, Henry, Kaz, Alicia, and Dario. There's been lots of going on in mountain biking, maybe a bit too much. We've got World Cups, we've got Rampage. Alicia, can you try and make some sense of it all?
1: Yeah, I'm not sure I can make very much sense of it at all, but things are definitely happening and things are maybe changing, slowing down a little bit with the season for racing kind of ending and slowing down. We saw the end of the World Cup season. You were actually there in mont anne just now. And yeah, it was as exciting as always. The women's podium is starting to look sort of familiar with Valley Hole on top, followed by Nina Hoffman and then Veronica Woodman rounding out the top three. The men's field, we saw Jackson Goldstone putting down the fastest run, which actually that was kind of interesting because in our pink bike morning meeting last week, we ran around and we all guessed who would win. And I think 100% of us said Jackson Goldstone. So all of us were sort of excited to see that. And then in second was Ethan Craig, who that actually, I think, I don't remember or know exactly, but I think that may have been his best result ever. And then Loic Bruni, who not his best result ever, but also still really exciting and cool to see. Yeah, the weather was... Again, exciting and wild, and the stakes were high, and I'm sure everyone was just feeling so supercharged. Henry, what was it like to be there in person?
0: Yeah, it was pretty cool. I mean, I think the weather, um, the weather made it made it that bit bit extra spicy. I think in person, the puncturing of the atmosphere, like you hear about semi-finals and riders complaining, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and well, not everyone complaining, maybe some like them, though. It does feel overwhelmingly like it's not a popular choice. Mm-hmm. But seeing Jackson come down with a run that beat everyone by five seconds and him not really be able to celebrate and basically being like get in the uplift and go risk your life again was, it was quite strange. And honestly, it kind of like, it was like over snacking before big meal, the snack wasn't great (laughs) and the big meal was ruined. It's like neither. It was really, it was really quite, quite strange actually. Interesting. I'm curious
1: to see, I'm really curious to see what they decide to do with that in the future i don't i think
0: it's gone i yeah. think yeah honestly i mean there's so much weirdness going on between like sort of the riders and the eso and it's kind of to be honest like from what i'm hearing is it's kind of getting a bit hmm. it's kind of devolving a bit um but it's something actually brian brian mentioned to me and i think it's a really good point like whether we like it or not this is this is a warner brothers thing now this isn't a mountain biking thing it's, it's, it's gone from us and if 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 it's not chris ball it's going to be some random person who has to look up what mountain biking is and you know digs up a review of whatever from 2003 and has no idea and i think i'm not saying everything's perfect but i think there does need to be a, a slight coming together because some of it, it sounds like it's like it's devolving in, in not necessarily a great
2: way yeah it's in the semis would be good i'd be i vote for that scrapping the semis yeah. would be a good step yeah, also, i, think, I yeah. wanted to ask <gasps> but also, henry this is not quite on. related but related to the race when the last run when jackson was coming down were you anywhere near the base area and did you get to see the guy rolled off the off the course because that was some of my oh, favorite footage no. of the whole weekend <laughs> seeing the man in the cowboy <laughs> hat <laughs> yeah
0: what, what was he? What was his deal, though? Hey, it was a like, drunk guy. That,
2: that seems so so strange. To yeah, as a drunk guy, but to ruin a Canadian rider's run. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure he's so drunk he didn't know he was ruining it, or maybe he even thought it was over. Who knows? He looked very drunk. But yeah, but it's amazing <laughs> yeah. footage of him just getting. For people that didn't see, a spectator as Jackson was coming down, and basically it was only seconds before Jackson would have hit the last drop. This guy, a drunk guy, is in the basically in the race course. So a course marshal comes out, tackles him, and then rolls him like log rolls <laughs> him off the course, and then. Uh, photographer uh, zach faulkner like grabs a beer that the guy had dropped in the course as well and then it's the whole thing it was great but also bad so nobody no one to charge a course like that <laughs> i was entertained by the footage of him getting rolled
0: <laughs> but it's interesting to see the access changing around these finish grounds mm-hmm. like you know in leger we saw them try to kind of you know <laughs> <laughs> benoit coulange out and now they're doing like the human arms and it is difficult because part of mountain biking that makes it so great is the access but also these riders need to be protected and you never know yeah i mean it'd be accident or act could totally, yeah
2: i mean you have to protect you can't have someone get trampled like jackson's like two feet tall you can't have the crowd smush him after his <laughs> best run of his life you know like it's not good so right. yeah i think they'll have to figure out some crowd measures like obviously everyone wants to see their favorite athlete but you can't just yeah. bum rush the and have carnage so
3: yeah it seemed to work out fine this time like yeah you know, a bridge collapsed some...
2: later that night though
1: that's yeah, true. That's, that's pretty crazy. That's yeah,
3: pretty yeah. bad. Yeah,
0: I think it was the people underneath the bridge that got. Oh yeah. shit! That's yeah,
2: death.
1: yeah, Ooh, yeah. It's yeah. pretty rough. Wow. And
0: basically, I looked at like, the structure structure's actually okay, but it's actually like a massive panel in the middle just gave way, and people just like a trapdoor, yeah. yeah. oh.
1: oh my god! Um, that's if, horrifying.
0: Horrifying. Yeah, totally. Brian sent me a worried text message and phone call to make sure I was all right. I went to bed nine o'clock. Oh, good. good for you. <laughs> I, was, I was in no danger. yeah. 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 Partying <laughs> pays off
2: sometimes.
1: <laughs> Damn. Um, so, also, we have our friends who are really good at pedaling. Um, so, the final XCC and XCO races happened this weekend. Laura Stigger and Victor Kuretsky won the XCC. Laura's been having actually a pretty crazy breakthrough right now, so that's cool to see. In the XCO, Luana Lecomte had another amazing race and took the win, despite actually getting a flat tire that put her almost a minute behind the leaders. And so, she was on this kind of crazy catch up game. And then second was Jenny Risfetz, also amazing to see her make a comeback recently. And Puck Petersay, really good to see. Well, it's not a comeback, it's kind of her first time exploding upward, but she's really doing it. In the men's, once again, we saw Tom Pidcock show some really incredible form and take the win ahead of Matthias Flukiger, who also had some puncture troubles but managed to sort it out. Um, and then rounding out the top three was Marcel Guarini, who... I think usually flirts with the top 10, but getting third is a pretty incredible result for him. So glad to see that. Also, since that was the end of the season, we have some overall winners to announce. In the downhill, we saw Valley Hole and Loke Bruni take the wins for the elites. And cross country was Puck, Peter Say, and Nino Schurter. Really just kind of incredible all around for all those winners. So glad to see that. Moving on from cross country to almost the opposite other spot, end of the spectrum for riding. We're also seeing everyone throw down in free ride right now for Rampage. We're in the final lead up and yeah, pretty cool to see. Has anyone here actually been to Rampage? No,
2: nope. no. I've been down there but not me. You know, never watched it in person.
1: Kind of, yeah, actually same. I've been down there. I've been in that formation a couple times, but not Rampage. I think it'd be kind of crazy to be there and be up that close watching as a spectator as these humans just a few feet away from you have maybe the most intense moments of their entire lives that's Seriously. yeah i don't know that would be a lot
3: yeah it's quite weirdly intimate hey
1: yeah it's a weird type of intimacy that i'm not sure or like I don't know yeah I you're like observed
3: that. intimacy you're just watching people have really intense experiences and you're kind of just you mm-hmm. know, fly on the wall i yeah I, yeah i think i would go i don't really know if i'd want to watch but Having walked around, even just looking at old features is scary enough. It, it would be gnarly to watch some of the stuff that's happening this year.
1: Yeah, that's real. We've been seeing a lot of the free ride ladies actually go out, and they're sort of throwing down at like a grassroots, not yeah. official event right now. And that's been really cool to see. Like the progression's clearly there, but yeah, I just I don't really know what the future of all of that is. But yeah, I don't
2: know. It'll be scale- interesting to watch. Yeah, there's some good videos. I think Matt Jones had a video that where he just had, he was standing underneath G's drop that he's building, and it's a you know 50 foot drop, 40, 60, I don't even know. It's a lot of numbers, mm-hmm. and you could just see how tiny he was. It really gave you the scale of it. Because sometimes that's the thing when you watch this stuff online or you know on TV or whatever, it doesn't really give the scale justice. But seeing a human in the on the landing, and then you could stack a bunch mm-hmm. of humans on top of him to reach the lip. It's <sighs> yeah. it's so it's wild. and exposure wild. this year. I don't. Yeah, I'm not sure about it yeah like i don't want to tell them not to do it but i also want to be just like you can chill a little bit and still it's okay (laughs) i I want them to succeed
1: i just yeah yeah don't want don't like the risk of it going wrong no
0: i remember being at hardline a couple of years ago and seeing first hits and things like this and i was there like i don't know i just think cross country's underrated trail riding (laughs) is underrated the red bull hard trail (laughs) (laughs) ride this is what we need you know who can who can look coolest on Blue Flow Tech? <laughs> right. You know, that's what we yeah. want.
2: You'd be so, like, so good at um, that, Henry. Yeah. it would
0: <laughs> be tailor-made. Yeah, we <laughs> have like a style. Uh, Wicked wheels front yeah. and back.
2: Yeah, instead <laughs> of speed and style competition, we'll just have like a straight up style competition. Like just a bunch of rollers <laughs> and little like things to jib off and then whoever has the best style could win. Like. Kate Edwards could be like style like world champion.
3: Dangerously close to like rhythmic dancing, though, and then we're I'm gonna here ha- for and it. then it's purely <laughs> interpretive.
2: Kate Edwards, rhythmic dancer. I'm. I want to see it. Yeah.
3: <laughs> no, that would be I cool. I support this. Yeah, yeah. Do we Amazing. know why Kate didn't race the World Cup?
0: I I know why Kate didn't race the World Cup. Um, we need to get Kaz. Can you put the lawyer on speed dial and then at any moment <laughs> edit? <laughs> so this is the story and this is speculation abound perhaps um basically Cade ran out of Red Bull helmets and Cade is contracted to run Red Bull helmets how do you run out of helmets Cade? (laughs) because he just he just kept smashing (laughs) which is yeah also horrifying so Cade Cade borrowed a helmet from Jackson and covered up the Fox branding and I mean, hundred percent. They just shot themselves in the foot. What they should have done is said, "Hey, listen, we love racing. Sadly, one of our athletes won't be able to ride a hundred percent helmet this weekend because of um, because quite simply, he's run out of custom painted ones. We, we, you know, there are lots of people making great helmets. We put them in, we put them in a rival one, a competitor's one. They do a great job too. But we love racing so much, we're not going to stand in his way, right? But that's exactly what they did. Apparently, he was dissuaded from racing because he didn't have a 100% helmet which is absolute Shame. nonsense and someone there has made a massive cock yeah, up
2: that's ridiculous
1: uh, that is and also because, a disappointing like, reason i, <laughs> I thought it was way thing. more
3: Yeah.
1: Uh,
0: <laughs> well basically i think i think there was some how to put this some some people not wanting this little tiny little splash in a teacup to get out mm. but it was like it's such a stupid thing because even if we all know there's more than one helmet made. And if you can't get your helmet, it's not saying that if we work on the assumption that 100, 100% riders would always choose a 100% helmet and it'd be the helmet of choice. Mm-hmm. If there isn't one available for them, then naturally there'd be a second preference anyway. So, I mean, it's just it's just classic, small. Like I thought it was quite myopic. And to not let someone race, I have to fly them to America oh, yeah. and then to Canada seemed wow. absolute nonsense. That's just, he's ridiculous. one of the most
2: exciting people to watch race, even if he's not seriously like the fastest. He's the the most stylish person on the course fun, 99% yeah. of the time. Like yeah i'm also sure they oh. could have found like a white but, i mean paint that's also somewhere. only what i heard like third yeah. hand yeah we'll so. run with that but it could be not true. if right, so right. it's not true then maybe not i was just
3: saying they could have just drawn a hundred percent logo on the helmet <laughs> this is yeah. yes
1: no. it wouldn't be hard to problem solve and also let him race yeah. yeah but moving on to tech um you guys have been riding some interesting bikes lately too dario i saw some stuff about that Reeb. tell us about that
3: yeah i spent Uh, the better part of the summer on the Reeb Steezel, which is a name I have not gotten tired of saying (laughs) at all. I don't know what it means, but I like it. Um, It was a really interesting and uh, impressive bike. I really liked that. Uh, It's 155 mil travel, kind of all mountain bike. It's got a steel front triangle, aluminum rear, pretty standard looking horse length suspension, Um, but just found it to be, uh, an impressively capable bike it was quiet and despite like two three months of pretty consistent use it never had any issues pop up which was nice um yeah just a, it's a
0: million dollar question dario how was the flex how was the, the flex, flex. Real? <laughs> in my
3: review i didn't talk a ton about how incredible and uh life-changing the ride quality of a steel bike is because it turns out when you do it right it feels about the same as other bikes i mean there's something to like maybe some vibration damping with a steel front triangle but no it's not like you're like carving through corners on this like amazing magical dragon it's pretty stiff like they did a really good job i will say Like if you look at it uh, it kind of looks um, leggy like the way that they designed the rear triangle especially there aren't braces between the seat stays or the chain stays. And so it, it kind of looks like maybe there'll be flex back there, but they integrated some really cleverly designed um, like internal yokes in all the pivots that keep it from flexing.
0: But I think also that do you think there's an element that what can happen when you get these steel bikes with stiff alloy rear ends is that actually the alloy end gets so stiff that it drives it all the flex through one point. And that's what feels so disconcerting. Yeah. when actually if you have something that's more, sort of universally flexible <laughs> it kind of, it, it arcs more than pivots. Yeah. You know?
3: Yeah. And I, I guess that's a good way of putting it is like it, it held like cambered sections really nicely, but at no point in like hard cornering, did it feel like weird or like, you know, bendy, so lack of a better term. And I brought it, that was the bike I brought to Crankworks, And I rode that for two weeks in the bike park and it felt great. I mean, the only, the one thing I would say, I mentioned this in the review. Is like if I owned that bike, I would put a Zeb or a thirty-eight on it. It comes to the lyric. Um, it just feels like a big bike, so it, it kind of warrants a big fork. Yeah, but yeah, I'm well, a fan.
0: Yeah. yeah, no, it looks cool. I mean, the colors a bit. Well, i the like, steel bike, so it's color. all out there. Hey,
3: this is good.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure that's the thing that Homer Simpson threw into the lake in the correct <laughs> something yeah. of that color. Um. Anyway, we're going to get on to this week's interview. Now, one of the things I was doing at MSA was basically just irritating everyone for podcasts. (laughs) I mean, really getting under people's skin. Uh, People weren't, people didn't want to see me and I was just okay with it. (laughs) But every now and then I could manhandle one of the top pros away from their busy schedule, basically into a van and then make them tell me about their life. And first up, we have Troy Brosnan. Now, I think Troy's an amazing rider. I think that. What's crazy, if you ever see Troy ride in person, you will realize it's the wildest, craziest thing that you've ever seen on a bike. Much in the same way that when we ride with Matt Beer, we're like, what the fuck was that? (laughs) But with Troy, obviously, it's even more so. And then people often refer to him as Mr. Consistent. So we talk a bit about that, about perception and about his career and how much more he's got left to give. I hope you enjoy it. Troy Brosnan, thank you very much for coming on the Pink Pinkbike Podcast. Now, you seem to have both been around forever and also have a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot still yet to give. I remember seeing this one interview with you maybe years ago, years and years ago. And can you just tell me the story of how you first got signed with Specialized when you must have been sort of 15, 16? You must have been pretty, pretty young, hey?
4: Okay? Yeah, yeah, I was really young. Um, what was I? It was 2009. So I must have been... 14 or 15 um, in Whistler. So obviously I've, I've done a few national rounds and, and hung out with Sam a tiny bit um, through SRAM Australia. So I kind of had a bit of a, a good in, I guess, from Sam. Um, but, yeah, I went to Whistler um, on a mongoose and rode, yeah, all the crankworks races as a junior, um, like won the Canadian Open by passing two riders no on track. <laughs> that, was, that was crazy um and then also yeah one Jill slalom and then from there i guess my results really shown that i can do it overseas not just in australia um and then yeah obviously sam and the monster energy specialized team at the time um it was i think it was iron horse a year before year before i think no yeah 2009 was the first year on specialized so yeah t- yeah they were iron horse the year before then went specialized and then in 2010 I was lucky enough to get signed by him. So, yeah, it was a pretty cool, like, story of going through, I guess, some national racing, doing really well, going overseas, getting a little bit of, like, an inside look into the team and how they run. Um, Even went out to lunch with Sam and Brendan, and that was, like, for me, it was insane. Yeah, I bet. Um, yeah, and then just having it actually happen that I go on that team with Sam being my idol was just crazy. And then, yeah, straight to his house in Perth to ride and train and, and have some fun, which like, yeah, I was just, I couldn't believe it, like, fully dropped out of school, um, just and just all in. went, yeah, yeah, I like didn't even need to ask mum and dad, they they're the ones that mentioned it. I'm not gonna lie, so, yeah, we were, we we're all in from the start, um, knew that it was a great opportunity, and then yeah, I guess from there I went six years, um, with specialized, and then now we're here, I think on my seventh year with Canyon, yeah, because so.
0: for someone that's. <laughs> only been you only had like one team change yeah you've ridden with some amazing teammates you mentioned yeah. sam hill Brendan fairclough and then i guess would you you had grin as well on specialized yeah. i guess you maybe had what a year with yeah, that like
4: yeah was kind of like a, a different setup yeah the same? there were two different setups that year that was 2016 my last year was specialized um i was like the only one on the i guess you call it the factory team like the full specialized in-house team um, and then obviously, Loic um, was on the specialised gravity team, which is what it what it is now. So we didn't ride heaps together that year. Um, hang out a little bit, but nothing. It was not really like a, I was on their team or anything. So yeah, to go through um, yeah, so many different teammates, and and then even now, like with Luca and stuff, it's it's pretty yeah, awesome. True, so, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've had a lot of a lot of good teammates, and I think I've like especially the, the younger years with Sam, Brennan and AG, I learnt like rapid fire. Like it just, mm. everything came in quicker and I learnt a lot more and, and kind of that's what helped me get get so good so quick.
0: Because I, I wouldn't say I know Sam Hill at all well. I spent a bit of time with him. I just did some work for um, Nukeproof just like, like a couple of weeks. So yeah. I wouldn't say I know him at all. But I was really, he seemed to have this real... Like natural authority in the team, like he had this sort of like weird aura. Elvis something looked up to him, yeah. And he had it felt like he was. Everyone was very comfortable with accepting that he was a massive role model for them in a really healthy way. It felt like a big brother to like Elliot and Keelan on the Enduro team.
4: Yeah, yeah, for sure.
0: Well, was it kind of? Well, it must be quite. You mentioned earlier on, you know, about having to go all in, and you know, you said not not just doing it in Australia, but being able to do it overseas. Mm. But for some heaven, for southern hemisphere riders, that's kind of the nature of the beast with World Cup downhill. You know, so many whether it's you know something like that or you know, there's I, mean, I think like the Mayor Smith brothers and like Jack and Connolly and stuff gambled on going over to Whistler just to show what they could do at Crankworks. And there's other instances like the them in the zacks Look at them like what they mm. had to do just to show. I think there is there is you know a discrepancy maybe between like um like kind of Australia, New Zealand, and then like the wealth disparity between something like south american riders but either way being on the southern hemisphere for world cup racing is pretty tough right we were just talking about it before we started recording that the the going away from home for that long stint especially when the, sometimes the calendar is not always very sympathetic it must must be harder to do it for so many years what's your relationship with that like
4: yeah that's a that's a i guess a touchy subject now that i'm definitely like getting on i guess like getting older it's yeah. it's become a lot harder like my first year overseas, I had left home and I was gone for, like, five and a half, almost six months. Like, I just went from Sea Otter, which was, like, really early, and I just stayed overseas that whole time. Um And I loved it. Like, I didn't miss home. I'd, like, I just love being overseas. And now, any, like, chance I get, you know, two, maybe three weeks, if there's an off time, I'm, like, going home. So, yeah, it's definitely gotten a lot harder. Um and trying to, like, balance that with, like, riding enough on big mountains, like, overseas, whether it's North America or Europe. Um, but then also having enough time home to, like, just re-energize yourself. Yeah. Like, always going home is like a reset button. So, yeah, it's definitely, uh, definitely a lot harder um, now that I've got, obviously, all the family and, and stuff and the house at home. And animals, obviously, (laughs) is a big part of it. But yeah, it's, uh, it's actually really funny when we come to races like Snowshoe and Mont Saint Anne, and you see like the Europeans on your team, or you see some Europeans that have just arrived and they're destroyed. Like they are jet lagged to the nines. They're like struggling to survive, you know, the next day when they get here. And I'm like, guys, I do that like almost before every World Cup. Yeah. At the start of the season when we have a break, like plus double the length of what they're like yeah. from Europe to here <laughs> yeah. is like a seven hour flight. Yeah, it doesn't count. <laughs> I it takes me sometimes like twenty four hours of flying to like just get like somewhere, you know. So it's just it's uh yeah, it's a tough one, but I guess um I'm pretty used to it and luckily enough for me I can sleep a good eight to ten hours on a plane, so that kills oh, yeah. a lot of time. So yeah, it's uh I don't know, it's not know. It's a tough one, but I guess it's part of the sport. And, you know, I chose to live in Australia, um, even though I was born there. I, I tried living in Canada for a year. Oh, did you? Yeah. When I was lived, that? Uh, that was 2015. Um, yeah, I just decided like, all right, I'm going to try it. Did the whole summer um, in Whistler, just stayed oh, back right. home there. Oh, super cool. And, yeah, it was was fun. It was good. My riding was really well, um, going really well and stuff. But, yeah, just as soon as it started snowing, I was like, i got to go. i got to leave here. So, yeah, I think, um, yeah, and after that when I went back home, I just think it was the right call to just stay at home. Although it's harder, I guess I've got the option to go a little earlier before a World Cup and ride and stuff. So, um, yeah, that's kind of what I've been trying to plan on doing now. And if, you know, with all this sort of hmm,
0: discovery coming in, They've certainly shaken some things up in some regards. If you could completely rip up the rule books of what downhill is, how many races would you want in a season? And would you, would you want four in America, four in Europe, four in, you know, in Oceania? What would, what would your dream World Cup calendar look like? Because I think of things like, you know, for example, in other sports, although they have, 20, they have more money and they make it easier, but they do have so many events. And people think, well, there's only eight World Cups in a year, but if people knew how hard they were, <laughs> to get to maybe they'd, they'd yeah. understand
4: yeah i guess the i guess the fur like i would love to obviously do more racing like i love racing so much that more racing would be would be awesome um but yeah i guess the hardest thing for us is like we're in pretty some of the time we're in pretty remote areas that are like hard to get to whether it's flying into like a airport that's pretty small or driving you know across countries to to get there so yeah, it does make it a little bit harder. Um, I'd love to see, yeah, like a, a bit more of a diverse kind of calendar, I guess you could say. Like, obviously, Europe is the main attraction. It's got, like, the most fans and and the most people dedicated, plus the better tracks and the, the easier chairlifts. Um, but I guess if we could start a, a season, you know, in May, off the back of the summer in Australia and New Zealand, there's two pretty awesome venues that have held world cups before so um that'd be pretty cool and then there's also maybe some talk of i don't know asian races or or somewhere else so um i think it's going to slowly get there and i think ESO coming in is going to help that get pushed which will be pretty awesome um but i think it's you know inevitable that we're going to have a lot more europe races than than anything else so yeah even with like i don't know the future coming i think uh i think it'll be hard to 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 go away from having a big chunk of the races in europe which is a little bit like it's a hard one like everyone loves riding and the racing in europe and obviously all the infrastructures here as well so it's kind of like a how how much money can the team spend in infrastructure in so many different countries yeah, so true that's what I think it comes down to. So I think it'll be a slow burn, a slow process, but, uh, I think one day it'll be a pretty decent calendar with up to 15 races.
0: Mm. It's, it's funny going to the North American rounds and they do seem a bit more kind of a bit more rough around the edges, you know, the you see white tents, the, the clown white tents <laughs> in the pits
4: <laughs> wearing one. <laughs> yeah. <but laughs> just what it, it's is. Just,
0: it is the way it is. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't feel the track, not, a comment on the tracks or anything but it doesn't feel like a world-class spectacle in north america it feels like oh yeah you everyone there's such a sense of living out suitcases and making it last and you bring a track pump so i'll bring a work stand and then you can borrow this so i can borrow that yeah fully. and um i mean i think it's funny like some of the only specialists have a good presence here i'd say um intense but apart from that everyone's pretty much just making it work you know they're like nine teams in the conti pits they're all like the Conti commune, yeah, 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 the, yeah,
4: yeah, the yellow clown tents. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> but uh, I, I, I mean, yeah, it's a hard one. Like, yeah, even for us, like, I guess in terms of Mont saint Anne, we've had a World Cup here. I don't even know since, like, probably since I was born. To be fair, so there's no shortage of a question of like, why don't everyone have a big setup here? Yeah. I guess, yeah, true. But then it comes down to like you have let's say you you buy a truck or a trailer or something you have a setup and you spend all this money on it it's only one race Mm. and then you got to store it and finding storage is the hardest bit so yeah it's it's such a like oh you know we could make it look sick but if we get more races in these other countries or or continents i guess that will help like kind of drive the 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 look of the team and yeah. like the teams i guess and and the the teams wanting to actually send it and and have a bigger presence
0: and if we look back across your career i think the people the word that people might use to describe results has been un- like unbelievably consistent is that something that in some ways like a double-edged sword because you're all you've been so many times third in the overall what maybe two or three times Something like that? Yeah, if not four. But yeah. yeah. I mean, it's been amazing and you've, some like, when it comes to probably podiums in the last 10 years, I imagine you're very, very, very high up there. Yeah. But maybe not as many World Cup wins or, you know, you see some people come in and have, like, burn really bright for a season or two and just do a smash and grab and get loads as opposed to sustained podiums over the years. How do you feel about, like, the tag or the description, you know, super consistent?
4: Yeah, I mean, it's it is like a a bit of a weird one. Um, I obviously love it because I've been up the top for so many years. Um, but yeah, to be, I think I was top three overall from two thousand and fourteen. Uh, all the way to the end of twenty nineteen, wow. except for maybe I missed missed out on twenty eighteen. So it was, yeah, it was a fair few years in a row where I was like. On the podium almost every race and just way up there. Um, and then after that, like only showing three world cup wins is a little bit annoying. Um, I think like I've always known that I've had um, like pretty good pace, but not like the rawest speed you could ever bring, I guess. Like, not like your new age riders where they've just got this raw speed, but a lot of them don't finish a run at the yeah, same yeah, time, yeah. so. Yeah, it's a you know when I'm feeling super confident, um, and actually riding fast, like I feel like a uh, my race runs my three race runs that I've won, I feel like I could have done that race run another hundred times. Yeah, like it was easy. <laughs> yeah, which is weird to say, but everything just worked out, and I was just riding, you know, a lot better than you know what everyone else was that that day. Um, and trying to find that is is one of the harder things for me, like to find the edge of pushing that hard but then not crashing so yeah i think i don't know the i i don't mind being called mr consistent at all like i feel mm-hmm. like it's a uh, not a bad bad tag to have i guess um but i for sure if you were to ask me like would you rather have that consistency or have like one world title like mm-hmm. in terms of the overall or the rainbow jersey i would probably Throw all that away just wow. to win just yeah. once. Mm. So that's how bad I want it. Um, yeah, the overall has been so close so many times, and it's a, like it's been pretty hard to like not get one of those. Yeah, and then at the same time, you know, I've gotten really, really close to world championships wins. You know, I've gotten seconds that well, one second, two thirds and a fourth and then a fifth this year so it's like technically i'm within a second every time that i'm on form at welds um if not like under half a second but i just haven't like fallen on the the right side of that second <laughs> so yeah it's been a little bit harsh um but i still feel like i've got a few more years in me and, and the best is yet to come i think like these last couple of years have been pretty hard trying to um, keep up with the younger boys and their, their pace and stuff. But I've learned actually a lot with, you know, watching them and seeing what they're doing and it's getting to a point where it's like, you know, I need to s- stop focusing so much on the, the training aspect and just ride my bike again. I mm-hmm. think I've gone into a bit of a, I don't know, like a, a rut where I've just thought performance is going to be a hundred percent better with, uh with just training and just, Getting fitter and stronger, but then I've kind of sacrificed time on the downer bike. So, yeah. yeah, I've seen that a lot the last two years. Um, and I think, you know, I can make that, that change at the, the end of this year and, and be ready for next year.
0: And so, what, you know, you've had your World Cup wins, because I mean, your first one was at Fort William, I'm right in thinking. Yeah. And um, it was on that red and white specialized, was it? Demo? Yeah. yeah, Yeah.
4: Yeah, the newish demo. Newish demo, yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: What year? Because you, you work at Windsor kind of more spread out. And you've had all this consistency. What was there a year that you said or you look back on it and think that's when I was riding at my best, or that's when I was able to execute at a level that I hadn't been able to before? And if so, would you be able to identify that year? Is there anything you're trying to like recapture almost?
4: Yeah, I think um It's a tough one. Like the I think there's been my most consistent and I feel like my the year well, then saying that the the other years are good as well. But I think <laughs> that's the thing with
0: yeah. <laughs> you're getting so so much consistency, yeah, right?
4: Exactly. Um obviously like the first World Cup win was amazing and then that was my breakout like going for the championship year in 2014. Um, I got like a World Cup win and then the week after got second um to Greg that got second to me at four no he didn't get that was in twenty seventeen, sorry. Um so yeah twenty seventeen when I won Andorra, I beat Greg Minar by like 0.2. And then the weekend after he beat me by 0.2 and I got second. So that year felt like once I got that World Cup win in Andorra, there was like nothing really going wrong. And, and that was a really good, I guess, close out to the year. Um, and I got second overall, which mm-hmm. was, was pretty awesome. But the amount of work that we put in before the 29th, 2019 season um with like dave garland and my mechanic aaron was like incredible like we fully turned that canyon into like the most like slackened out head angle cups like forward on the bike that wasn't really getting done too much back then and just like all these things to like with suspension and data and everything to make it work that was like a a really big kind of push in the right direction. And I landed like the first three World Cups. I think I was top three every race. And it kind of just like, I remember that year, like I didn't win a World Cup, but I felt like that was the year that I could have like really pushed and and done something, but it didn't fall the right way. And then you go on to like probably the last year that I felt like I really had a shot was 2021. I rocked up to the first World Cup in Lear gang and it was complete muddy the year before was world champs in 2020. And I crashed in finals and I was like up by a second before I crashed. So I was, I was angry when yes, I came I back bet. in yeah. 2021. <laughs> um, I thought I was like, I should have really won that. Um, no disrespect to Reese or anything. I, I no, but- believed he, he did a really good run, but I was like, obviously knew I could ride the woods really fast and going a second up before that. I thought, all right, I've, I would have had it. Um, so yeah, 21 qualifying. I like, I think I won by like seven seconds. Wow. I just was like taking, there was not taking like no for an answer. Like I was going to win that race and I've never come to a, a first world cup and done amazingly. I've always like slow burned to the end of the season and done well at the end. Yeah. Qualified first and then won the race, um, as it dried out and stuff. And yeah did it all in those those gnarly woods because I was just like I need to like prove to myself that I could have done it the year before um so after that race in 21 the first one we went into leger same deal like i I was like I'm gonna just win every World Cup here like I feel like I'm on fire gonna go in qualifying I just like slipped on a route and just absolutely base planted and smacked like smoked my chest. Oh no! Dirt all in the helmet and like a little bit rattled. So that that crash there literally knocked the confidence completely out and it kind of ruined like the rest of twenty twenty one for me. I did bring it back for world champs and get third and I was only like point four off of the win, which hurt a lot. Yeah. But um, yeah, that was a that that was like the last year I felt like I could actually go and fight for an overall and and fight really hard for the world champs so yeah I think you know it's a it's getting harder as well
0: it is but I think so many so much times like things have been building blocks at the time they felt like you know the, the ultimate kick in the teeth and actually they gave us something that we wouldn't have got otherwise and you don't know when it's going to come in handy yeah. like that you know yeah. eating shit and getting banged up might have been in your back pocket for yeah. an experience you're going to call on next season and be like well actually fuck it it happened the right way yeah um remember when you went from actually two things that spring to mind when i think about you kind of you know going between teams one was that awesome like kind of meme slash trolling you did with aaron gwen when he signed from trek yeah that was yeah that was it i'm gonna try and find that but in the article yeah, that was, that you must have just good. been enjoying that so much
3: yeah
4: yeah <laughs> when i asked the question i was uh no yeah i think maybe a pink bike comment and i was like Oh, who's gonna join Troy on the specialized team for next year? And someone was filming me. I think it was Sean Heimdall, the team manager at the time. And then I just look over and the camera just turns to Aaron. I was like, What do you think, Aaron? And he's just wearing a specialized shirt. I do remember that vividly, like at that that little centre counter. Yeah. That was pretty funny. So good. Yeah.
0: And also, are you going to can did that feel like a risk at the time? Because it it felt like there was quite a big quite a big showing for them and showing their intent. And I think if you'd said ten years ago, you know, in 2023, you are going to have all these different teams and seemingly be everywhere in World up downhill. It might have seemed like a stretch, but but here we are. What was that relationship like when they reached out? Because I believe Fabian Burrell was originally running the downhill team and then Gabe Fox came on relatively within a year or something, hey? Yeah. What was it like? Was it kind of... Was it exciting? Was it nerve-wracking? Did did you did they have a lot of your confidence straight away? Did they have to earn it?
4: Yeah, it was... Uh... It was scary for sure. Like, I really didn't know what to expect at all. Like, it was, um, like, end of 2016, obviously, it was just me on the, the factory specialized team. And then Lewick's, um, like, specialized gravity team started to become, you know, really popular and really big. And they kind of wanted to merge me over to Lewick, um, or Lewick's team, I guess you could say. And I just, like, at the time, I just didn't know if that was going to be the right fit um obviously luic and i are like really good friends and there's no bad blood or anything but i just like just wasn't sure about being i guess on such a french team yeah and everyone's so driven for luic i didn't know how i was going to fit in there
0: especially when you're from the factory team are going over and it's not like yeah specialized factory yeah exactly
4: yeah. yeah so that that was really hard um and obviously at the same time canyon Hit me up, and it was um, we call him Fab Dog, but Fabian Burrell. Um, yeah, hit me up and and said that they've got a team coming, and I was like, okay, I know Canyon is a brand, but they haven't had a team before, so I was like confused on what was, you know, where we going to get a race truck, where we kind of, where we going to have tents over our heads for the first World Cup, like what were we actually getting ourselves into, and it was it was really tough like once i signed and actually made the i guess the agreement to to go over there it was a like not a relief it was more of like a, okay that's done now what? Have, what do i got to expect right and the first year was like we both myself and, and Mark Wallace rode really well. He got second at the first World Cup and I had of my course, best. Of course,
0: that, that was in Lourdes. Yeah, in Lourdes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. in wet. Yeah, a bit of
4: wet affected. But, but even so, still, still
0: fucking World Cup period. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah.
4: On paper, he got second in the World Cup. So, yeah, that with that happening in the first World Cup um, and then obviously me having my, my best overall season and getting second that year, like behind the scenes, it was kind of a shit show. Like mm. there was things not getting done there was like a new manager on that, you know, kind of was struggling a little bit and, and everything was new. So like trainers, trainer bikes, like Mm -hmm. those things were like kind of not forgotten, but not thought of ahead, you know, enough. So we got to the first world cup and we're like, Hey, where's our trainers for the trainer bike? And it was like, shit, we don't have any. (laughs) So it's like, yeah, little stuff like that was just like a, a bit of a battle. Um, and then halfway through that year Gabe became kind of available I guess obviously Da Vinci folded the year the year before um and someone thought I think it was Nigel at the time um Mark's mechanic thought hey Gabe's free like let's see if he can like help bring this program into like a bit more of a structural thing so yeah we got Gabe on halfway through and then since then obviously he's been an amazing manager and and helped us grow and become into the team that has now, yeah, two downhill teams, two enduro teams, and, and an e bike team as well. So, yeah. yeah, it's pretty. Plus other Italian teams as well yeah. that I can't even name. Cause there's so <laughs> many, but uh, yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. You know, Gabe and and Fab, they both like oversee all the teams. Um, and it's a lot going on, but it, it seems to work. And we have like a a pretty fast bike at the moment, and it's been a been a journey. But where we're at now, from where we started, is A massive, massive step.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think casting our minds back to 2017, I think it was really interesting because there were actually three German teams that rocked up with really big motorhomes and really big presence. Yes, there was Canyon. There's also Radon Mm. with Manon Carpenter. Yeah, and there was also Cube. Yeah, and you know, Cube still has a presence, but it's a very. It feels like it's a very different beast now to what it was then. I think it was like Matt Walker, Phil Atwill, in and then in Radon, I can't even remember. Yeah. So Anyway, like, yeah. but it just felt like everyone was like, "Wow, we're just going to get big trucks, and we're going to." But I think Canyon, maybe it was, they had the commitment there at the time or whatever. But they're the only ones still here because it actually takes a huge amount of a huge amount to run a World Cup team and to to have the investment. And it's not like a you know a YouTube ad where you know what, you know what you're going to get right. It's it's a bit of risk which brands might not necessarily be in for. I think Canyon as well is a really interesting brand because I think especially over the last couple of years they've they're getting, they're really getting the hang of mountain biking, to be honest with you. I think without bagging on them, I think some of their old bikes were interesting, maybe it was a shade too conservative, in my opinion. Um, but now, like, their bikes are some of the most radical. Most of them have a, a radical element in, in there somewhere, whether it's the new to have with kind of quite wild sizing, whether that works for you or not. So yeah. to the point, at, least it's, at least they're doing something interesting. That new Neuron is, like, out there and alive and... And I think it's actually really cool. And I think one of the bikes that was really important to that was, was the Sender. Like, it's such a pragmatic bike. It's such a, like, a, it seems like from the outside, like such a genuine race bike. Had all the adjustments that some of the other bikes don't even have now, you know? And it's maybe two, 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 three seasons it got released. Um, did you have much of an input in that Sender or was it kind of just delivered?
4: Yeah, so in 2017, the first the Sender um, that I got to try... Was the one that pretty much like Fabian Brell designed and and worked with the engineers to to build, and that thing was like amazing straight out the bat. Like obviously, I went from the specialized with the single sided yeah. swing up like um, that, side on it on that the Looked
0: good at the time, but it doesn't look good in hindsight. Yeah, it doesn't <laughs> look good now.
4: But that thing was like it it worked. Like it it was linear, um, and it just somehow worked. But yeah, going from that. You, you really had to ride that bike as a knife edge like it was really hard to ride fast but then it it would really like catch you out and then going from that onto the canyon like it was complete opposite like the canyon is super fun playful soft and like a bit of more of a lounge chair compared to what the specialized was and that was like a i don't know a comforting thing for me i jumped on it and i felt great and fast straight away i remember being in in Leger with um, Fabian Brel. Obviously, he is like the king of Leger. So he knows every track and, and rides really fast there, especially back in 2017. He was, he was. I mean, I can't say he's not fast now. He's yeah. the e bike world champion. So, I was going to say, he, yeah. he seems
0: like, will he ever.
4: I think. I don't know. It feels like racing is just retire. something he loves so much. Yeah. That, yeah. He's like, once a racer, always a racer. I think he's just going to be a racer until he can't race no more. But yeah, I remember jumping on the bike with him and just being like, Dad, this is like this bike feels really good like i I think I can go pretty fast on it, and I remember started to like drop him on his home trails that i have barely ridden in my life, like I think I've been there maybe twenty fifteen or twenty sixteen before riding with him in twenty seventeen and he was like he's like if you're riding that bike on the first day that fast and dropping me, I think we're onto something mm-hmm. so yeah, that bike was amazing um, and then we worked like so hard with, obviously, Fabian, my mechanic, Aaron, the engineers in Canyon, we produced the the bike in 2020 that we have now, and that is, like, with the headset cups, the adjustable rear end, like, everything that we did that I mentioned we did in 2019 with the headset, and obviously that was 650 rear wheels on that old bike, and this one was 29. We had to kind of, like, cross over some stuff and, and tick some boxes with that, but this bike has just been, like, perfect from the get-go and and with everything that we've done we've changed the linkage once i think um but that's the stock linkage now so it's it's been a really good kind of time for me to like help with my input like back in the in the days obviously sam hill would would ask for what he wanted on the on the specialize and then uh when i you know straight away got teammates with ag he was like very good at knowing what he wanted and how to make a bike fast so i was like trying to learn at those times but not really giving much input because those two people were like so so much like well tuned into their bike and, and new numbers and stuff and i was just still kind of a kid like just riding my bike <laughs> so yeah for me to try and help with the the current sender and the new sender was pretty awesome with geometry and and sizing and what I wanted out of the, I guess, kinematic on, on how much progressiveness and all the stuff added to it was pretty awesome. And then to have that bike come forth and, and do really well on it and actually win a World Cup in, in 21 was, uh, was pretty awesome. So That's pretty special. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, I heard interesting something years ago. I don't know if this is necessarily true. It might have been through the grapevine. But there was a period... It would have been probably like 2017 2018 where you were having instances where you were maybe having hmm, doing wheels because of inserts or you had a period of doing a fair amount of wheels and apparently i heard there was something to do with the insert in that or the suspension setup is there any truth in that or is that just like sometimes you hear rumors like oh they, they're doing a wheeler run or they're breaking frames or whatever but actually it's it's not true but did you did you have it on those mavic wheels at the time were you going through more of them than would perhaps been reasonable? And what do you think the inserts weren't offering the solution that you'd hoped?
4: Yeah. So yeah, exactly. In 2017, um, we had the, the Mavic, like the newer kind of version of the Mavic D max, I guess you'd yeah. call it. Um, but it was really soft, like straight pull, like bladed spokes. The one like,
0: that had the gloss sort of finish, I think. Yeah, Yeah. yeah.
4: So that was like, it was a hard one because they were like really soft and compliant. So they had so much traction, but we were just absolutely imploding them. So at the start, we were like, all right, let's put like inserts in um, and try and like try and actually ride them with inserts so we don't blow up wheels. And we just kept blowing it up and we couldn't figure it out. And like, even at times, the first, I remember the first one in San Romolo, like pre-season, we've tried to fit an insert into the rear and we had to use like the tires were really tight, um, and the insert obviously doesn't allow for much more room. We we're using metal tire levers, and we actually pierced through the rim no with way. the metal tire levers. Wow. So we got the tire on. We're like, sick. Let's pump it up. <laughs> let's try this run because
0: oh, they were completely sealed. Hey, they were yeah, even, they were sealed.
4: Yeah, yeah rims. Yeah. So like, we went to go pump it up, and I'm like, why isn't it pumping <laughs> up? We must have like ripped something, and we take the tie back off, and the like there was like three stab marks from the metal, Mm. the metal tire lever. So that's how soft they were. Um, but yeah, we ran them the first couple of world cups and I was just like, something has to be wrong. Like, I don't know what's going on. And then Aaron, my mechanic came up with the idea like, Hey, let's just try again without any inserts, just tire, sealant, done, normal tubeless. Ran same PSI, maybe like one PSI more. So it would have been about 28 PSI at that stage. And, uh, yeah. Stop breaking wheels. It was insane. <laughs> like, yeah. I couldn't believe it. Like, yeah. And then after, soon after that we had Andorra and I won the world cup. So it was, it was a real weird one. Um, and I remember being in MSA where we are right now, 20, it was 2017. So that same year I literally did a rim on the rear, every run, everyone, every single run, like every second run, I would have a flat tire from halfway down three quarters a quarter like whatever like at some point i'd have a flat tire and every like other run than that wouldn't be a flat but the wheel would be tuckered like couldn't ride it again even the front the front was like getting maybe three runs out of it Mm. and like those wheels like with the i guess the heck yes nipple that, yeah yeah the they're not nipple. and they're sealed so they're not easy to swap <laughs> rims over it's not yeah, just true. putting a drill in the top yeah. of a dt rim and just br- 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 all the way around and lacing it over it's like your hand doing 28 yeah. spokes god and yeah they were 28 not 32 so they were just like i think aaron was just like ready to quit at that stage <laughs> he was so done um but yeah like and that that I think that year was my worst result in MSA because I just didn't get practice. Mm. Like I was just getting halfway down imploding a wheel and then not being able to ride the rest of the track. So yeah, that was a really tough year. And those, those rims were like way too soft. But then we go into 2018, we got an updated version, like a completely new wheel J pool. I think it was 32 hole and the rims were like bulletproof. Yeah. Couldn't break. them. Like I, I was trying to break them and I couldn't, but they were like overdone. They were like stiff, twinging everywhere and, and too much. So it was a hard one. I, we, we did love coming to Mont Saint Anne in 2018 though and like didn't break one wheel. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was pretty nice. So yeah, yeah I, right. I got some good practice there and I think I did pretty well. I go on the podium or something. So yeah, it's a tough one. But uh, I mean, wheels these days, like even the wheels that we're running right now, we're running the spokes pretty loose. And trying to get compliance out of it and just trying not to break them because mm. it's it's that fine line between having a stiff wheel that makes it to the bottom, but then having traction to, to win.
0: Yeah. And do you, what, what rims are you on at the moment? New alloy, carbon?
4: So we're on alloy for yeah. sure. We did at the start of the year run the new ones. And um, is this Mavic still? No, this is DT. This is DT. So enough, since sorry, yeah. 2019, we've been on DT. Um, and my go-to has been the four seven one. I was gonna like, say the classic, yeah, the classic enduro rim. I guess you <laughs> could say in quotations. So, yeah, that one for me being narrow, it's twenty five mil. Um, it just sits the the tire like especially the two point four Maxxis tires. Um, it just sits it in like the perfect shape that I like. Um, and even like Louis Bruni and Finn and stuff run the four seven one because mm. it's just. It's got the compliance, but it also has, like, enough protection to kind of get you through. Yes. And
0: but, but first, racing at the highest level, I mean, for practice, it's not so great. But really, you, it's going to sound bad and people are going to wince at home. But really, a good alloy wheel is one that is compliant enough and soft enough that it's, it gets you to the bottom, but you don't want to use it again in terms of a final you know like yeah if it then it's been doing a it job. it's like bottom out on a on a fork almost you know you want to use it yeah, <laughs> occasionally yeah.
4: yeah you don't you don't buy 200 mils of travel and, and only use 180 <laughs> like you bought the full 200 you might as well use it but yeah honestly like if i have a really good race run my rear wheel is like like almost touching the frame yeah that means i've like pushed hard i've gone offline a little bit or something can hit some stuff that i shouldn't be hitting but it's just the name is. of the game you've got to yeah. do it right when you go fast
0: and um, as maybe a slightly I think in some ways kind of your riding is well it's incredibly smooth like watching you see turns and stuff your body position is like absolutely textbook it's slightly lighter so in some ways you're probably putting a huge amount of flex through the frame but in some ways you maybe get away slightly easier but then you're known to just dip your heels and charge what's your relationship with stiffness and compliance and do you have a particular a way that you seem to, to want to go or Do you want like a stiff frame, flexi wheels or, or vice versa? You know, what's, what's your deal?
4: Yeah. It's, it's been hard over the years. Like, I feel like when we got that, that first specialized with the single sided frame, um, like the, the front triangle was really flimsy. Um, and the rear triangle was pretty stiff and we tried to like bend that back a little bit, but to be honest at the time, I didn't notice too much on the frame side. Like that's where AG was just going mental on like <laughs> pulling carbon off of the frame and and doing all this stuff, and I was yeah, just thumbs nice. up in the corner like, cool, <laughs> let's do it. Um, but yeah, since then, like for me, the the frames, I guess I've been lucky with Canyon. They've done a lot of research and they've they've found the right stiffnesses and and whatnot. Um, that it hasn't been too much of a a hard one for me on the frame stiffnesses. In terms of wheels. I would say I would like a more, I guess like looser compliant wheel Mm -hmm. than a stronger one. I feel like, especially with me with being lighter and and like you're saying, um, a bit more of a smoother rider, I can get away with, you know, less spoke tension and and lower pressures. Um, but then you've got someone like the, someone like Luca, same bike, same team, same wheels last year as me, four, seven ones. He probably didn't break as many wheels as I did and he's I don't know almost 20 kilos heavier than me it's crazy Mm -hmm. so it's it's so much of like a I don't think it's how much you weigh it's more how you ride like he's very smooth and planted like with his back wheel that he doesn't kind of like bash into shit and like and and really smash it so I don't know like it's a yeah, it's a tough one to try and find the balance of the two.
0: Cathro did the whole of last season on one set of on one, on set, a, of one set of wheels. Oh in fact, he has this set god. of wheels. Right? Check this out. <laughs> no way. Yeah, he has this set of wheels. It's like a family heirloom that was his first set in the <gasps> Santa, Santa Cruz reserves. And the reason that he stopped running them is because he fatigued the spokes so bad they started breaking. No, the, way. <laughs> but you didn't. Oh touch my them. god! That's
4: they were the red helped
0: wheels. Everything else is i nine. Basically, we had a rim sponsor, not a hub sponsor so i9 um, supplied the team loads of hubs which he built up but ben had his like lucky red set
4: of Chris King hubs that's insane and dude that's, I, mean, I can't even believe that that's just you yeah. can hear
0: his rims on his gopro I don't
4: yeah. get it like, yeah, like ding, yeah. ding 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 yeah you know? how can it make noise but stay in shape <laughs> that's crazy that's uh I don't know I don't know that as a sponsor would be uh, easy for the sponsor. Sponsor's Be like, dream, here's man. one set of wheels, good luck.
0: Easy for the mechanic. It was great. <laughs> yeah, Dude, just yeah. like gave him a crisp high five in the morning and that was that. <laughs> yeah. Um. If we look at, how to put this, you know, you, you said that Aaron Grimm was really good at sort of identifying that. With, with the team and coming to Canyon, was it kind of a bit nerve-wracking? Like, did people kind of look to you for that information straight away in terms of like developing? And was it a case of, oh, yeah, um... Oh shit, I'd go, yeah, I'd go one of them. Five five more stiffnesses, please. (laughs) Yeah. Or were they kind of quite patient with you as you kind of really because it is a skill, learning how to develop bikes, I guess.
4: Yeah, for sure. Like I was definitely a little bit nervous at first, thinking like, all right, I've I've gone from being not so much like the number two rider, but like being underneath someone with a lot more knowledge, um, to going on a team that was solely built for me like fab Fab said like if you're coming on the team we're all in for you like whoever you want to be your like i guess second rider or or co-rider to bring you up to speed we'll sign wow he said that straight to me so that was nerve-wracking in itself and then in terms of the bike stuff it was actually pretty lucky that um that fab was there like obviously he is so insanely R and D focused and and tuned into the bike that straight away he started talking to me about the stiffnesses of the specialized versus canyon and stuff and he's the one that's probably helped me the most like learn about you know the geometry and engineering and stiffnesses and all of that so i think that was like a pretty good relief knowing that he was gonna like be all in for me in in terms of coming to canyon and then also like be behind me with the, with the bike on how it needs to work and, and how it needs to be. So yeah, it was kind of uh it was a hard one, but it was, it was kind of cool at the same time um, working with, with someone that I don't know, it's Fabian Brell. Yeah. And then at the same time, I think we both knew that I had the consistency. I just needed to find that raw pace and he's no, no, no slack on raw pace. That's yeah, for right. sure. I feel like he didn't have much consistency and he just had straight out balls to the wall. So um yeah, we're we're still to this day working out how I can like unlock that little bit more of like the go button and not so much of the overthinking and consistency kind mm-hmm. of thought process that I do into these races.
0: Um your mechanic Aaron, you've been with him for a number of years now. Yeah. It feels like one of the longer <laughs> sort <of laughs> One of the more consistent like mechanic rider pairing. Yeah. yeah. Were, Were you friends from back home? How did that come about? And what do you think is the, that he gives you that works so well as, as a pairing?
4: Yeah. So, um, back in 2015, um, I like needed a mechanic. I don't know, a couple months before, like things happened in the background. Um, and my current mechanic at the time couldn't do the next year. And I was like struck. I was, we were trying to figure out who to get. And, uh, I kind of was friends of friends, I guess with Aaron, like obviously we knew each other. We've ridden at the dirt jumps in the friends group together, but we've never actually been like complete friends, like gone over to his house or or anything like that. So um, I knew that he worked at a bike shop. He was like, I don't know, just under the head mechanic and he was kind of just working on bikes and, and that was his, his job and his go-to and, and at that stage, there was no one, you know, two months out from the first World Cup, not many, not many, I guess mechanics, World Cup, yeah, are gonna be ready for it or or even available. So, yeah, I um, I I actually asked his pretty sure it's his cousin, um, that I ride a lot of dirt jumps with back then, and uh, I was like, hey, what do you think about Aaron for a mechanic for me next year? And he's like, I don't know, man, give him a call. <laughs> and I was like, all right. So he gave me his number. I called him up and I was like, hey, dude, how's it going? He's like, yeah, good. What's going on? I'm like, hey, blah, blah, blah. Do you want to be my mechanic? And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, this has happened. This has happened when I need a mechanic for the first World Cup at least. And then there was like the first World Cup in a bit of a break. So they're like, they kind of are happy to bring you on, see how you go. And everything's good. Like then start paying you and pay you for that one and, yeah. and, and get the ball rolling. So he's like, all right. Give me like, give me a bit, and I'm like, you've kind of got about <laughs> two days to work this out. And he's like, shit, all right, um, yeah, I'll call you back. And I'm like, all right, two days, or, I'll chat to you. I think like two hours later, he asked his his girlfriend, which is his wife right now, wow. um, and he called me back, and he's like, yeah, let's do it. Sick. So yeah, that happened. Came over for the first World Cup, and then uh, obviously we, you know, since that phone call, we started hanging out heaps, and, and now he's like easily my best friend so it's like i don't know i guess uh it was meant to be i guess you could say like he he was at the bike shop but kind of getting a little bit over it obviously um the bike shop's not not somewhere you you kind of want to spend your whole whole life Mm. um and this opportunity came up and he went screw it let's do it and since then yeah we've been an amazing pairing we are very similar like love all the same activities look the same, same (laughs) height, same size, wear the same size clothing. I don't know. It just, yeah, it just works really well. So, and obviously at the time he was living 10 minutes away from me and now he he only lives 15 minutes away from me. So at home we do everything together, whether it's riding or golf or, you know, moto, whatever, whatever it is, surfing, we're always doing it together. So it's been a pretty awesome relationship and then turned into this amazing friendship, I guess you could say, where... It just feels like, uh, I guess, brothers at this point.
0: Yeah. Does the relation? Do you ever have any hmm, ex- heated exchanges at all? Like because sometimes you can be so close to people when frustrations it can become an outlet, right?
4: Yeah. Do yeah. You, for sure. I I actually don't think we've ever had a a really heated. I can't argument. imagine
0: that you were particularly. imagine you're quite a chilled out rider to work for. Yeah. Is that that true? Would you say, or are you quite?
4: Yeah. Like I don't ask much and I feel like when I do ask for things, it's like very like warranted. Yeah. Like it's, it's because I I think it's really going to be better and it and, and it's going to be for the best of both of us, but we're both just Aussie kids just (laughs) traveling the world. Like there's not much to be angry about. Right. Yeah. There's we've, yeah we've barely had any heated, argument like definitely no heated arguments maybe we've been a little bit annoyed at each other but we're also just guys and yeah. and we get over it pretty quick yeah, so yes, yeah it's been a, a pretty easy going relationship and like obviously I can just fully trust in him on the bike like just give him the bike tell him what I think needs to be changed he changes it and then I just jump on and off we go so never had uh any doubts in his work um one last kind of
0: basically you know with these podcasts, I obviously love downhill mountain biking. And so I just turn into a super fan and I can just go straight to the source for yeah. my small <laughs> curiosities about spoke tension from five years ago. Um, with all the hype of a kind of fanfare around that Common sole when it started winning in 2019, the word decoupling drivetrains, all this was very important. But actually, there was a Canyon bike that had a very kind of like a, an idler gear almost, a neutral gear that you were riding for a bit of time, which would have given you potentially many of the benefits of something like a idler equipped downhill bike with s- without some of the complications but a different set of complications did you ever race that system where basically you could choose i suppose like a smooth gear on your cassette and then you could it would be decoupled and you wouldn't get any pedal kickback and then you'd choose into go back into drive did you ever race that system or did you just and what was it like was it kind of a bit scary like coming in like shit am i going to be able to get a crank do am i in the right gear it could have been quite sketchy no
4: yeah yeah it's uh. It's a touchy subject because let's just say I got in a little bit of trouble (laughs) for doing this. Yeah. Um, Our our folks at Shram weren't too happy about grinding some teeth off of a cassette. Um, But put it this way, I in 2017 I won Andorra with With that, that. Mm. and that's all I'm going to say. Yeah. No, that's that's, that speaks. (laughs) So that speaks (laughs) speaks volumes. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, no, it was it was a little bit sketchy because you know you've got you've got areas where the, the chain could like drop off and get caught. Obviously, there's no teeth on the cassette, mm. so it could get it could drop off and get caught in between the cassette and the frame super easily, or I forget and go to pedal and go over the bars because it, there's just nothing there. Eight hundred watts, and yeah. So yeah, it was, it was tough. But I guess that track at Andorra was flat at the top, and then when it started to go. Down at the bottom, steep, it there was no pedaling. So yeah. yeah, it worked pretty well. Um, but yeah, I'm not really allowed to do that anymore. So I think uh if I want something like that, which right now we've got the O chain, that kind of helps. Um but yeah, apart from that, it might have to go to a, a common cell kind of look of frame mm. for Canyon.
0: Or just say goodbye to your swamp sponsorship.
4: Yeah, exactly, <laughs> which we don't want to be doing. <laughs> we don't that. Want to be doing that. <laughs>
0: Um and like final question. As I said, you've had some amazing teammates over the years. You've also had this career kind of competing and going toe-to-toe with just some of the best of, like, you know, the last decade. If you're a team manager and you can pick say, one, well two male elite riders to be part of your team not yourself of the last 10 years, which was it like do you think it'd be, like, 2011 Gwyn? Do you think it would be 2019 Peron? Which which for the time you're like, holy shit, that, that person is on one?
4: Yeah, that's a hard one. Um,
0: Cause that that is... like, in some of those periods, like, those riders... There just wasn't an answer to them, yeah, yeah, yeah it was just they just there was nothing that anyone could have done. They were just doing what they wanted that
4: day, yeah, yeah, a hundred percent um I don't know i'm I'm trying to think of like in terms of obviously results slash the writer itself um i don't I don't think I would pick Amory only because I don't want to deal with the wildness that he brings <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to the tower. I don't yeah. think I could contain him, Ta- you know. Just a, sorry to sort of go off on a tangent, but
0: his warm up is something exceptional.
4: Yeah. What's uh, it like insane. when
0: you're trying to get in your zone and you're just there and there's literally this like a gladiator yeah. fucking dude <laughs> with no shirt. no on. shirt on, just screaming <laughs> three foot away from you. <laughs> you're just like, dude, what's going on with that?
4: Yeah, <laughs> I uh I tend to like warm up very far on my own yeah. in my own world. So I haven't seen much of it, but I've seen a little bit of it. Um, and then, yeah, obviously when I see him really focused and stuff at the top, I'm quite the opposite. I'm very laid back and, and like, not in the moment, but like, I'm, I'm aware of my surroundings where I feel like he's just like seeing red. So in, in my terms, I like look at him and go like, that's a bit over the top. And I just get on with my, my thing and just have a little laugh. Right. But for Um, the listeners,
0: just to explain, like, basically there's shouting, there's shaking.
4: Yeah. There's like jumping, jumping. running, There's, like it's, it's it's absolutely. It feels it's, like an earthquake yeah, happening on the ground. There's it, that much going on. It
0: feels almost something like he's like a shaman of some sort.
4: Yeah, veins popping out of yeah. his forehead. It's yeah. wild. And I was just like, I'd be there,
0: like just like checking tire pressures. Yeah, and yeah. I'm just there looking at him, and I'm just there like, fuck, this is this is really intense.
4: Yeah, you would not go <laughs> up to him and tap him on the shoulder no, at that point. No. <laughs> I don't think you'd survive. That's definitely something that. Yeah, I I don't think many other riders do, mm. do anything quite like that, but hey it works. Hey yeah, it works. Yeah, it works for maybe ourselves. I need to start running yeah, and you jumping give, you and give it shouting. A <laughs> <laughs> oh man. But, but back yeah, to the question, is know, it too hard? Yeah, I think going back to the question, like I I really found when I was racing A G in twenty fourteen, I got my first cup, first World Cup win and we were one and two in the points. And I learned so much from him that year. I think going back to 2011 AG, where he was like 2010, 2011, I can't Mm. remember the exact year. must have been 11 and 12 when he was on Trek and he was unstoppable. He was just like, people couldn't believe what was actually going on and how to beat him. Like he would crash and still win. You know, at Fort William, he crashed and got second or third or something or still Um, won or something insane. And people were just like, this isn't possible you can only crash like Sam Hill in a mud race and, and still win like, or get third or whatever. And how do you do that at Fort Williams? So that with AG's professionalism and his like ethic to like just win was yeah. insane. So he would probably honestly be my first pick and then to probably like help balance AG out and then to help, I would say Sam Hill, Back in the day of 2008 and 9, when he was just like so relaxed, he didn't do warm ups. Like, no, he just he would just go up the top <laughs> and just go, Yeah, boys, how's it going? and drop in and then go win a World Cup. <laughs> like, I feel like <laughs> if you would have a bit of AG helping Sam out and a bit of Sam helping AG, That's out, incredible. it would be
0: that just makes it so much more badass.
4: Yeah, exactly. The fact that
0: he literally just like, 30 psi my minions
4: I don't don't think he actually jumped on a trainer at the top of a world cup until maybe 2009 that is so cool and would just rock up and see all these euros and all these dudes like training hard warming up everything and he'd just roll in and just win by three seconds Wild,
0: so cool (laughs) amazing well thank you so much for coming on the podcast man it's been uh, great to finally find out about those wheels and I can put that to bed (laughs) perfect. thanks man thank you very much And that was a chat with the, just such a nice man, Troy Boston, honestly, all these riders, joking aside, were so polite. I think we might go try might try and go to like a two-week cadence just to get through them because I, I got so many, but I was amazed at the access that people were willing to grant. And also, you know, just as a fan of the sport, sitting down and asking the actual questions about the actual thing is, is just, just the best. Um, shall we go into Music Corner? Kazuma, you are... The man of sartorial elegance and taste. What what hot type of mumble rap are you bringing
2: this? Week? <laughs> this is the opposite of mumble rap. It's actually very, very clearly enunciated, and it's from 1982, <laughs> and the album title is Nebraska, and the artist is Bruce Springsteen. Oh, yeah. Ooh, shit. And it's I'm not a huge Bruce Springsteen fan, as far as like his I don't know his, the ones everyone knows, you know. But this album, I think I listen to it a couple times a year, kind of around this time when it just starts getting darker and a little gloomier out. Yeah. It's a gloomy, very dark album about a murderer and his girlfriend. And it has some just wild song lyrics. They're just like, it's just so intense and dark and super sparse album. So if anyone hasn't heard it, just forget everything you know about Bruce Springsteen as like put that aside and just listen to this album and it's really amazing.
3: I will say I always bring like, you know, weird hardcore and, and angsty music to this music corner. My dark, my little dark corner. Um, but I saw Bruce Springsteen live once and it was incredible.
2: I bet. It, yeah, like, and that guy He, he nice. played
3: for four hours. He was like 73 years old at the time. <laughs> it was power. Like he had the stamina that none of these like 19 yeah, year old hardcore he, artists I see have.
0: Did he play for four hours because that was a plan or did he just forget why he was playing for four I, hours? My grandmother will do that. She'll just keep yeah, on talking. <laughs> uh,
3: it was impressive. It was, it was really cool. Yeah. I will give him.
0: Dario, what would uh, what would your shout be? Is it something? Make it something like just fucking say Enya for once. Just say Enya. Uh,
3: it's an album called Holograms from the band Holograms, and it oh. is not Enya. It's um, uh, I don't know how to describe it. I should have thought of this Are there before. And the melodies <laughs> uh, is there is there at least a melody this time? Yeah, there's melody. It's great. Uh, yeah. Only like minor dissonance, and a really wonderful opening song called um monolith if you're gonna listen to one song today listen to monolith by holograms or whatever alicia says
1: or whatever alicia says oh no i can't follow that your time is now my time is now um i'm making a swift left turn i actually wrote down a music corner suggestion that i was gonna suggest but now that they suggested enya i think i have to uh, change course a little bit there's a video on youtube it's a duet um from duo lippa and elton john Ooh. doing benny and the jets and oh, i've seen that <laughs> it's a good video know. um i'm just gonna go with it yeah good. I, That's my, i that's don't, my least favorite, i don't to, <laughs> <laughs> i don't have much else like, to i don't have much to back Uli, it up yeah. with other than that i just you know i think there are two people i never would have expected to combined forces and they seem to do it pretty successfully at one point and so i'm gonna go with so that so
2: cool i mean he did his duet with Eminem yeah, years I mean, ago Edelton. so wait what he did that one, did John, he really was that with Eminem?
1: yeah, oh. yeah uh-huh. i'm gonna watch that now
0: he also um <laughs> has done really great things for his um his Favored football club, Watford FC. Mm. And I think that's just super cool. He basically single-handedly saved this club. Yeah. And that's just, I love that weird eccentricities of celebrities when they actually find something in their community that's really important. Yeah. Um, I think mine is, you know, every time I listen to Future Islands, I kind of go through their sort of catalog and I'll find a song that for some reason didn't click previously. And then it clicks that time. I like thought there's a, there's a Future Islands song for every little period of your life. And this one's um, Beach Foam, And I listen to this thing on repeat. And when I'm tired and I'm driving, I will just scream this aloud to make sure I don't fall asleep. It's, it's wondrous.
3: Oh, huh, lovely. I thought you were going to say seasons um, considering the changing of the leaves. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can just do a little dance for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Right. Um, and that is it from this week's ping by podcast. Now at one cent. And I did actually do some fly by podcasts, which might be worth checking out if you want to hear some post race ramble, but also, I, I want to do more of them next year and i need to make them better slash more clicks so if you've got any feedback anything that you'd like or would you like it to be longer shorter this that and the other please let me know because i'm very much trying to consider just how i can shoehorn a season worth of racing into my schedule and uh, we will leave it there so thank you very much guys and we'll catch you next time